Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. Its mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to episode 66 of the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I am Tim Robertson, the host of the Observer's Notebook, and also I coordinate the training program within the ALPO. I want to thank you for downloading and listening. The ALPO collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomenon, and we publish these in detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication known as the Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. This podcast depends upon donations from you, yes, you, our listeners, to keep it alive. If you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, you can donate to it via Patreon by giving as little as a dollar a month. If you feel even more generous, for $5, you receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook. For $35 a month, you receive producer credits and one year's membership to the ALPO. You can help us out by going to www.patreon.com forward slash observers notebook. If you would like to join the ALPO, you can for as little as $18 a year. For more information, visit us on the internet at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And we're also on the Facebook. Just search for ALPO Astronomy. And also this podcast has a Facebook page as well. Just search for Observer's Notebook. If you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, please, 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 please subscribe. That way you'll never miss another episode of the podcast. Tell your friends. Tell everybody. We want everybody to listen. And now, this special edition of the Observer's Notebook, where we have a member profile of our own, Mike Reynolds. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to the Observer's Notebook podcast. We have a special edition today, a member profile of uh, a longtime ALPO member, our Eclipse uh, expert, past director of the ALPO. Yes, I'm speaking about Mike Reynolds. Welcome to the podcast, Mike. Hey, it's good to be here, Tim. Thanks so much for inviting me in again. Now, when I... Uh, when I do these profiles, I go on the internet and I search around to see what I can find. And you have a Wikipedia page. Yeah, and I didn't even do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, holy wow, <laughs> this is there's a lot of stuff to talk about today. So I hope everybody just sits back with a cup of coffee and relaxes and enjoys a little conversation here. Or you may need a beer or a moonshine <laughs> or something for this one. Who knows? There you go. Well, why don't you just give everybody a general background about yourself? Well, it's, it's one of these things that goes back really to when I was a kid. You wonder sometimes how teachers influence people. When I was in first grade, believe it or not, um, my teacher rolls on a TV set and says, today, boys and girls, we're going to watch America's first astronaut. It was the launch of Alan Shepard. And I got hooked into space. I don't know why or what there was about that. I went home. My parents said to themselves, where did this weird kid come from? And I just kept this interest in space and 
in astronomy. Uh, they bought me my first telescope um, for Christmas a couple years later. It was a two-inch diameter Gilbert reflector. A Gilbert, Gilbert reflector? Yes, two-inch diameter, okay? I have so, never heard of that. Hey, it, it's really something special. You, I still have it, by the way. Oh, and that was going to be my next question. <laughs> I still have it. I still have it. In fact, you know, think about it. We all probably have eyepieces bigger than this telescope. And so I'd go out. I really couldn't see much more than the moon with it, yet it just continued to spur my interest, and I became more and more interested. You know, built my own telescope and did science projects on astronomy and went off to college thinking about majoring in music, believe it or not, and decided, nah, you know, this astronomy and science stuff's pretty special to me. Now, are you so, a musician? I am. I play saxophone. Really? Yeah, jazz yeah. Sax or alto I play. Uh, J, I, I have an alto and a tenor, and so I'm really interested, really into jazz music. I play play sax, so it's kind of kind of an odd combination for someone who has a PhD in astronomy and science education. You know, do you have this guy that also plays sax? But I decided to go into decided to go into the sciences, and so ended up getting my uh, my bachelor's degree. Couldn't find a job when I got out for astronomy. Because it was kind of that law of the space program. They weren't hiring astronomers. So I went to education. I started teaching high school. And I guess I was pretty decent at it. So I went back and got my master's degree. And as a high school teacher, I ended up going back to the high school where I graduated from, which was really kind of a hoot. And I taught physics, chemistry, and um, students just seemed to like the way I taught. I ended up being selected as the 1986 Florida State Teacher of the Year, which was kind of an amazing thing. So I'm thinking, you know, these people, there's so many great teachers. Why did they pick me? You know, I'm, I'm a physics teacher, for goodness sakes. Why would you pick a physics teacher? And in my thinner days, I like to say I was one of the national finalists in the NASA Teacher in Space Program. Well, let's talk so about I, that. Let's talk about that for okay, a second. Now, okay. is this the Kristen McAuliffe program? That Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I knew knew. I knew Krista quite quite well. Um, knew, still good friends with Barbara Morgan, who was her backup, and eventually got to fly. And it, you know, it was both one of these things. We got to do some really great things. You know, some some great programs, some training, and meeting a lot of astronauts. And I was at the Cape when Challenger exploded. It was oh very 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 difficult. Very very. And still, even to the day, Tim. You know, when I think about Challenger and the Challenger accident, when the anniversary rolls around. It's still very, very hard on me because, you know, I stood there. I knew Dick Scobie. I met Mike Smith, Judy Resnick, and my wife and I got to be very, very good friends with um, with Bruce Hughes, who was, um, excuse me, Bruce Jarvis, whose son Greg was killed aboard Challenger. So, you know, it's one of these things that was just very, it's still very difficult for me. Um, you know, I go to launches i hold my breath when it's a, a manned launch until like with the shuttle the srbs right. go away but even we you know even with like columbia that accidents could still happen so yeah i worked it was, shuttle program for a while and it's right around the time of challenger and yeah and through columbia and it was the, yeah they you, you take ownership of them you do you really do people do take ownership of them and and you know it's one of these things that what do you do? Do you stay home and hide in the closet and say, oh, it's too dangerous out there. We can't do this anymore. No, you, you fix your problems and you move on ahead. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it, you do it also because 
you don't want these people, both Columbia and Challenger's crews, to have given their lives for nothing. you got to continue pressing ahead. So, you know, it's one of these things. There's a whole conversation we can have just on manned spaceflight, I presume, and with, uh, with the unbelievably uh, hard to believe that it will have been 50 years since the Apollo 11 landing in, in, in 2019. Hard, it can't be 50 years, but it will have been 50 years. It, it, it boggles my mind that we're not launching people into space. No, we're not. That, that, it boggles my mind, too. Yeah, I think I think the shuttle probably needed to be retired, but we needed to have something that we could have put right into its place. And right. so right. You know, that's a disappointment to me. Well, Elon Musk to the rescue. <laughs> yes, sir, you're right. And thank goodness he's doing what he's doing because – you know, we need we need to have our access to space. Yes, we do. Very, very, very true. Now, you you live in Florida. Is, live in Florida. Is, is you born and raised there? Well, born and raised there, but wasn't always here. Um, after I got my PhD, actually, it's interesting. After I after the the Challenger accident, I did some work for um, Department of Education and for NASA, and traveled the world basically, mostly in the southeast, but traveled talk about the. the Challenger accident and why spaceflight was important. Finishing up my PhD, and then right after that, I um, was um, offered the position of executive director of the Spo Observatory, which is in Oakland, California. Right. And so the idea was to build a brand new facility, and um, so I got I had the honor of serving as executive director, leading us through the fundraising, and the design, the staffing, the building, and opening of the new Shmo Space and Science Center in Oakland. And, you know, it's a it's a very fine facility. I'm very proud of what we as a team uh, were able to create. You know, it's got a wonderfully active astronomy club in the East Bay Astronomical Society. Uh, it's got great support from the city, the school district, and the parks. And it's got some very fine telescopes, too. You know, two really wonderful old refractors, a 20-inch Brashear, on a Warner and Swayze mount and then an eight inch Alvin Clark and then a brand new 36 inch reflector. I mean, just a great, and it's open to the public. The public can go up there and use these scopes. So yeah, it's, a, it's it, an amazing facility. It really is. It, it is. It is. So I spent, you know, 12 years out there oh. and um, it was a great opportunity. Then my mom and my wife's mother both came down with cancer. And we just could not go back and forth. We decided the important thing would be, let's just go home and take care of our parents. So I came back here, and um, my wife took care of her mom. I took care of my mom. We helped each other out. And I came on with the college and started as a professor of astronomy. Then, for some crazy reason, they offered me a dean's position I guess I figured I had some experience at, at Chabot. And so I served as a dean for 10 years and went back to teaching about three years ago. And I'll wrap up my career um, this year in, in 20, 2019. So retire from the college and go on to do some other things like build an observatory at my home, that sort of thing. So I'm very, very excited about, about the, the Can future. Can I ask how old you are? I am 64, will be 65 in March of 2019. So, so you're a couple years older than me. 
Uh, yeah, we're still youngsters, right? That's a we are. Totally we want joke. to retire young. I plan on retiring this year too. So it's yeah, that's that's a good plan. I want you know retire young enough where I say we're going to build an observatory here in our home, and I want to. There's just things I want to do. My wife and I want to do some more traveling. Not that we don't do much traveling for eclipses, which we do, but you know we want to be able to drive around the, the United States and you know see our kids and grandkids and you know, all those sorts of things that you you work hard your life to retire for. Right now, what of your astronomical interest is meteorites that's true and how did that yeah. come about well that's another one of these wonderful stories when I, I was in third grade we went to the jacksonville children's museum and it was one of these places it's a you know old museum with a lot of stuffed animals and uh, dioramas and that sort of thing they had a small spitz a1 planetarium projector and then after we went to the museum which i loved um, we went to the gift shop. My mom and dad had given me a quarter for my milk money. For those of us who remember the days of milk money. And lo and behold, lo and behold, I go into the gift shop. And there in the very back is a small piece of Canon Diablo meteorite. It was a quarter. I spent my milk money on this meteorite. So I don't show my parents that I can, I can just see their reactions to the day. What is wrong with this kid of ours? He has spent his milk money on a rock. And so that just got me interested in meteorites and some study while I was working on my PhD. Um, had opportunities to go out and do some research. Um, South Pole and um, Antarctica to, to recover meteorites. I've written some books about meteorites. Um and even to the point now that I'm opening a small company, we're developing little meteorite kits for educators. So really? it's been kind of fun. It's been yeah, it's been kind of fun. It's been kind of fun to say the least. So um, this is something about holding this rock from space. You know, when I do my astronomy college labs, and we'll talk about observing the moon, because we'll well, I make them observe. They've got to look through the telescope. They'll be observing the moon. I'll say, now hold this rock. This is a lunar meteorite. This came from that body you're looking up, uh, looking at up there, or this recent Mars apparition. I've got some small pieces of Mars rock, Mars lunar, uh, Mars meteorite, should I say? And so, you know, I'll put that in your hand. And say, you're looking at Mars to the telescope. That's a piece of Mars, and it's kind of amazing. You know, 18, 19 year olds, they don't want to indicate they're really interested. But you could just tell that they'd like, wow, I'm really, I'm really, this is cool stuff, Dr. Mike. This is really, this is really pretty cool. It is real. You know, that's why, you know, when we, (laughs) when we teach astronomy, when I teach astronomy, it's so important to get these kids out looking through the telescopes. You know, I can show them tons of Hubble pictures or pictures I've taken or others have taken, but they got to have those photons hit their own eyes. And that's where they just, just kind of like go bonkers over it. Right, the first time a kid sees Saturn through a telescope. Oh yeah, they want to oh, look yeah. at the other end to see where the slide is or something. That's exactly. <laughs> Tim, you're absolutely right. It's amazing. You say, okay, this has got to be fake. There can't be Saturn. It just, right. it just can't be. They do. They go look in the front of the telescope. See if you have a little globe of Saturn hanging yeah. there. That's true. Now you're you're obviously passionate about astronomy and. 
being the same age, we grew up in the 60s. We grew up with yes. Man Space Flight and Walter Cronkite and Wally oh, yes. Shira and and I, I can because I'm exactly the same way you are with this. I can, right. I can hear it in your voice. And, uh-huh. and what else do you think affected you besides that? I mean, my, my dad worked for NASA, so I had an in there too. That was well, helpful. you had a great in. My parents were not science or space oriented, but they supported everything I wanted to do when it came to astronomy and space. Um, I can remember. I went down to the Cape for the launch of Apollo 11 with a friend and his grandfather, which is fantastic to be there. Yeah, you know, ten miles away, you know, across the Banana River, but to watch the launch of Apollo 11. So my parents always supported things like that. When I was when I was 16, they allowed me to drive to my first total solar eclipse. It wasn't far away, but they allowed a 16 year old put his telescope. And a friend in the, in the car driving up to this eclipse. So my parents were always very, very supportive. I will tell you kind of a funny story. I didn't know this until literally my mom was on her deathbed. And she said, um, Mike, I got something I got to admit. I thought, oh, my God, what's my mother going to tell me now? She's on her deathbed. She's going to tell me some you know, crazy family secret. She and my dad used to call me their space cadet when I was a kid. And I just thought it was a great story. I loved it that my parents called me their space cadet. And she didn't tell me that until she was on, literally on her deathbed. So I wear that banner with pride, their space cadet. Good. I like that. Now, in, in going through your wiki page, I saw something about the uh, you're president of the Antique Telescope Society. Yeah, I was. I'm not any longer. But yeah, I'm, I'm really interested. In, I think it, that was par- partially stoked by my work at Chabot, um, the curation and restoration of antique telescopes. Um, I have a couple myself, and I just... Two-inch reflector. Yeah, uh, yeah <laughs> that's I have a two-inch Gilbert reflector. That's my, my best antique. But I just, I appreciate the men and women who have dedicated their lives to making sure these telescopes aren't just put in the dumpster, that they're preserved, that it's like a heritage. These older telescopes are often just works of art they're just incredible and they're not too bad optically either you know looking through the the alvin clark at chabot I mean, that telescope is gives you amazing images especially in the planet of the planets so i've had always had a great interest in that but especially i think my work at chabot has really fueled it since we were you know dealing with um you know truly wonderful antique instruments a particular person or event that first really sparked your interest in astronomy? Sounds like you had it early on, but what? yeah, yeah, I'd say there's a combination of three things. Um, one was Alan Shepard and John Glenn. Um, second would have been buying that little that little um, meteorite at the museum, and probably the third, which made me so passionate about eclipses, was seeing my first total solar eclipse um, in Waycross, Georgia, in the middle of a cow pasture. On March seventh, nineteen seventy. So I think those three things are kind of if you talk about pitiful things. Also, this is crazy, but I was very fortunate. My very first meteor shower was the sixty-six Leonid storm. Oh I my got, goodness! I got up, and my parents were reading the newspapers. That's what they did that day at breakfast. And my mom or dad, I forget which one, said, "Hey, there's a meteor shower tomorrow morning." 
And um, I said, can I get up and watch it? They said, you know, absolutely. I was 12 years old. So um, I got a chance to get up and see this shower. And yeah, I probably had, you know, 1,200, 1,500, 10,000 meteors an hour. But I thought, well, they've got to be all like this. You know, all meteor showers <laughs> got to be like, well, they're not quite. But I was no. very fortunate. It was my, my first meteor shower was the 66 Leonids. So you've had some milestone events that really I have that, that really sparked your interest in the hobby. I have, and I've been very, career, very fortunate. Your career, you've absolutely. Made, you've been lucky enough to make it your career. Absolutely. What, what, what? If you had a choice of anything, what would be your dream telescope? Oh, my dream telescope. Well, since I really am a solar system guy, a really, really good quality apochromatic refractor. Um, because I, you know, having reviewed telescopes, um, for astronomy magazine, I just, I, I, because I love planetary work, um, lunar work, I, a really good APO would be my, my dream scope. I know it may sound a little strange considering you can get bigger and better, but for what I like to do, a good refractor. Yeah, I'm a refractor guy. I just, I completely agree with you. Yeah. There's just something about the focus that you can achieve with a good app, but when I go to eclipses, the only thing I take with me now is usually a millimeter explore scientific apo because I get such good focus and good color because it's an apo with that little refractor that my photos are just spot on. Hmm. Focus, of course, is important, but man, just getting that great focus that you get with an apo that makes all the difference in the world to me. Yeah, what, what's your current observing equipment? What kind of telescopes do you currently have? Well, let's see now. I have um, everything from a couple of APOs, which I use probably more than anything else. I have a 17-inch daub, which I haven't used a lot recently. I have um, some um, Schmidt casters. I have a Mead, which I really like, by the way, a Mead 7-inch Mac. That thing is really an incredible scope. I mean, when I look at objects with that seven-inch Mac, it's just, just really f- the background is, is very dark, almost I call it velvety. Uh, it's just a very, very fine telescope. Uh, unfortunately, it's, it's the mean seven-inch yeah, Maxitop. I don't even think they even sell them anymore. And they they weren't very popular. So I think they were much more expensive, like the eight-inch Schmidt Cassegrain and. You know, people just didn't see paying that extra money. But I'm going to tell you, I looked at a whole bunch of those once at a winter star party when Scott Roberts was with me, and he had, you know, the 14-inch and a 10-inch and, you know, an 8 in the, in, the, in the Max. I went from telescope to telescope to telescope when I had the winter star party looking through these. I was blown away by the Mac, absolutely blown away by the Mac. Just, again, that, that, that background was just I don't know how else to describe it, Tim, but velvety black. Wow. It was just really pretty special. Huh. All right. What, what? Any other type of equipment you've got? Um, some cameras yeah. and some lenses and that sort of thing. Now my wife can... will tell you. I, my wife will tell you I have too many telescopes, but that's... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear that. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, astrophotography. You do much of that. Yeah, I do a, a fair amount. Mostly I, I focus, no pun intended, I focus on, you know, eclipses, and um, I love doing, again, planetary and lunar photography. I think there's a, a lot of challenges to doing really good lunar 
imaging. I've done some deep sky. I know people do great deep sky. I probably don't have the patience to do it like I many my friends who do deep sky. You know, I know how many hours they put in on on um, just you know manipulating. I don't mean that in a negative way, but working the image after they take it or stacking and all that. I I, I don't have the patience that they have. They end up with some beautiful work, and I can't touch it. So yeah, that's what I love I, about this hobby, though. I mean, there's so many different avenues you can go down to be considered an amateur or professional astronomer. And it's not like, you know, you just do one type of thing. You can do eclipses and everything else. It's Right, right. And, of course, we have people in amateur astronomy that are armchairs. We have people who love doing outreach. We have people who, you know, love doing astrophotography or just, you know, sketching deep sky objects or sketching Jupiter or whatever it is they're interested in. It's, it is a great – it's kind of like professionals, too. You know, there's such a variety right. of – interest in professional astronomy that you know it's it's wonderful you know, i i love sitting and talking to friends um who are professionals and hearing the work they're doing because it's so different than what i've done yeah now you've held the position of executive director for the alpo what brought you to the organization well my first alpo conference convention was in memphis tennessee and i want to say it was 1971 and at that convention, I met Walter Haas and many of the others who were involved. And I was just, because I was already drawn. That was the, that was the year of the really superb Mars opposition. Right. Yeah, I was really drawn to the ALPO because then I thought these ALPO um, recorders, as they were called back then, were just you know, wonderful um, observers. And so I've been involved with the ALPO since 1971 in one form or the other. And um, it's one again because my interest being eclipses and lunar and cratering and all that sort of thing, it just seemed to be a natural for me. And I remember when our good late friend Don Parker called me in the 1990s. I was at Chabot and he called and he said, We'd like you to consider coming on the board. And I was like, You know, wait a second, you know, it was just a few years ago, Don. I was a kid attending ALP, ALPO meetings and meeting folks like, you know, Walter and, and, and others. I know Don for a number, number, number of years. And so next thing I knew for some crazy reason, they decided they wanted me on the, on the board. And, um, Don Parker asked, on the board. you have to say yes. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. It, Don, <laughs> Don will not, yeah. Don will not let you forget <laughs> it. Will take no, <laughs> no, well, no, it's not in Don's vocabulary. Yeah. Now, what have you seen as changes in the organization over all these years and having the position of executive director? Well, I think that one change is, you know, we're having to do things a little different. Like, for example, your podcast, you know, the online presence. If you think about even 20, 25 years ago, there wasn't as much of the online stuff as we see today. And so I think Alpo's had to look at how do they um, help serve their um, – their membership, you know, it's 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 caused I think all organizations to take a look at, you know, what do you do to be an active part of, of your community. So I think that's a major change. I, I think Ken Poshedley has done an absolutely phenomenal job yes, with yes. our journal. You know, I know that when Walter first started, you know, those were the days that you did maybe a graph, and it it was a great start, and then. When John Westfall took over, he 
brought it up another level. And kid, I'm telling you, it's just that journal is it's it's fantastic. It's absolutely it's, fantastic. It's a professional publication now. It's it it absolutely is. So it's something that we as members. The other thing I, I think is a challenge, Tim, is how do we attract new members? How do we make sure that Alpo is still relevant? And and so I've tried to work with students over the years. And in fact, our our new um, assistant Eclipse coordinator, um, Keith Spring, is a student of mine that I've been mentoring, and he's working with me on eclipses. So, you know, we're, we're we need to bring we need to get people involved, and it's in some ways it's more difficult because of technology today, and in other ways it's um, it's more important than ever. But I, I look, I go back and I look at what motivated you. What motivated me, and it was a space. It re- I think it was a space program. Space program, and, yeah. And yeah, we have a space program, and you know, this insight mission, seeing the crazy oh, yeah. handshake and stuff. That's exciting to see, and yeah. seeing the ages of these kids that are in mission control. That I just, yeah. I look at them, and I'm like, okay, you, you, you've the, at 26, <laughs> you've reached your career goal. Now, what are yeah. you going to do? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. What do you do? I mean, seriously, yeah. look at that. Look at curiosity. Look at um. Go back and take a look at, you know, um, Osiris Rex and right. its arrival at Venu. I mean, right. these are, and you it's look at the kids. Times. Oh, it is. It is. And I'm going to say that some people will probably disagree with me on this, but I think that Elon Musk's launch of a Tesla board Falcon Heavy, you know, seeing this red Tesla in space, I've heard kids say, that was just phenomenal. And I know people say, well, you know, what a waste of money and this and that. But, hey, he owns it, so I worked for NASA for 20 years, and that's one of the coolest things I ever saw. I agree. I you agree. Know, we used to launch dummy payloads, and they were blocks of concrete. So he launches a Tesla. <laughs> I think it's great. It's, it is wonderful. I think it's great. Yeah. And I think, I think that's captured the imagination of kids. And, you know, part of it, too, is making sure that we let kids know that this – is for everybody. You know, it used to be, and you and I understand this, Tim, you think back to the 60s, I mean, science and space was, I was just going to be honest, here, kind of a white man's thing, and that's changing. We just make, need to make sure that, you know, we continue to encourage all kids to, um, hey, get out, look up. That's right. That's very true. Yeah. All right. Um, in this member profile, I have a series of questions I ask everybody. Okay. And not all of them are astronomy related. Some are kind of goofy. So bear with me on these. But, you know, let's have some fun, okay? Okay. Sounds good. All right. On a scale of 1 to 10, Mike, how weird are you? Oh, it depends who you ask. <laughs> I'm asking you. <laughs> okay. I'm probably about an 8. An 8. Why, why would you say 8? Because... I love talking space. I get really excited about it. And some people look at that passion and just roll their eyes. So that's okay. I, I don't mind being weird that way. Okay. It's good, too. I, I'm right around there, I think. Uh, what the What is the furthest you have traveled for an astronomical event? I, I assume it's an eclipse. Yeah. Let's see. Well, I have gone to, the, to Antarctica to collect meteorites, oh, so maybe that's the furthest. That's good. Yeah, that's not too bad, is it? Yeah. Now, well, you go out there with a metal detector and go. Hunting. Well, actually, actually, it's easier than that. You walk along the 
the the glacier and you find a rock. Uh, yeah, I mean, seriously, shouldn't be there. Shouldn't be there. That's right. Wow, Antarctica. I like that. Okay, what's your go-to order at your hometown favorite restaurant? Oh boy, let's see here. I love good fried chicken. That's probably why I need to lose more weight. I love good fried chicken. From where? Um, we used to have a restaurant called the Homestead, and man, they made some fine, fine fried chicken. There's a lot of the good chicken places too. Place here in, in Northeast Florida has chicken and waffles, and man, just good never stuff. Had chicken. It's not a thing here in California. Yeah, I've been here. I've been California. Yeah, that's true. I, I've been there. I've had I've had tofu and chicken out there, oh, and it's not no, fried either. So no, I can't do that. No, no, that's not good. What's your most memorable astronomical event? Oh my gosh, there's so many to choose from. Um, ah, geez, my most memorable. It's got to be a total solar eclipse, and I'm trying to think of one in particular. Yeah. Um, February 26, 1979, we were north of Winnipeg, and there was a slight, very light, high cloud cover. We still see the eclipse fine, but when that shadow came across the sky, because the way it moved, you could see it moving across the clouds, as well as photograph it moving across the clouds, I ducked. I literally ducked because I thought the shadow was going to hit me. And February in Winnipeg, that's that can be kind of cold. Yeah, when we flew out of Florida, it was 80 degrees. We arrived in Winnipeg, it was 30 below. So, yeah, tell me about it. Hey, you love eclipses. Yes, sir. I'll (laughs) chase them. To the ends of the earth. Yeah. Are there any books or tools that helped you on your journey in astronomy? You know, when I was a kid, a lot of those golden books, like on stars and planets, I still got them. You know, I love those golden books, the golden book about stars, the golden book about planets. You know, I just love those little, those books. And, you know, I probably worn the pages down so much that my parents probably thought about getting a little space to get out another copy of it. But, you know, <laughs> they, they really, they really incur, you know, I read through these things and read about what people are doing and that sort of thing. And then, of course, maybe a few years after that, I remember getting my first couple copies of Sky and Telescope. You know, I really look forward to, to getting that magazine and looking through it and seeing the telescopes that people offer for sale and reading about the observ- observations people were making. Hmm. I like that. Uh, if you were stranded on a dark site, deserted island, what telescope would you want? An Apo. That Apo? Yes, sir. You know, I figure, what the heck? Yeah, I could have a big old 100-inch or 200-inch or whatever, but, you know, the ability to swing that Apo around, good focus, That'd be what I go for. Great. If you're stranded on a dark site, deserted island, what kind of music would you want? I like jazz. Do you? Yeah, I do. I like jazz. Anybody in particular? I'll... Oh, geez. There's just too many. Too many. Anything has saxophone in it. <laughs> since I play sax, you know, that's right. that. It, it would be. That's that's my thing. I also like. I also like um, just well, I like a variety of music. Quite frankly, um, I'm not really big in the country, which. My wife is, and so I end up listening to some of that. But I, I like music. Period. Yeah. Are you playing a band at all, or? Um, basically, back to college, and that's it. Okay. You know, we'll, we'll jam every once in a while around here, but not as much as I'd like to. Maybe once I retire, I'll be playing more music of the spheres or something like that. Ooh, 
There you go. What advice would you give the 12-year-old you on life? Be prepared for changes. Be prepared for a wonderful opportunity to see things that I can't even begin to think of. If I look back to myself when I was 12 and I think about, you know, what my expectations were at that time, you know, I've I've far exceeded anything I thought I'd ever be able to see or do or or that sort of thing. And I think another piece of information, which, which maybe people will appreciate, you know, I'm very much so a family man. You know, I just, you know, family and friends are very, very important and every day is a gift. Very good. Okay, here's a tough one. Cake or pie? Oh, Lord have mercy. How about, how about pie cake? How would that be? <laughs> pie cake. I, I really like a good slice of apple pie with some vanilla ice cream. There you go. Yeah. You know, nice warm apple pie. That vanilla gets under and just kind of starts melting into the, into the pie. Ooh. Okay. Good so, stuff. Sounds good. And um, who has had the single most influence on you in, in regard to astronomy? Well, if I had to really think about that, I'd have to think back to my college days with two um, absolutely fantastic astronomy and physics professors I had at the University of North Florida, um, Jack Humphreys and Jay Hebner. Jay and I are still very, very good friends. In fact, we do breakfast about once um, every other month. Oh, wow. It's, yeah, it's, it, you know, he's obviously very, very much so up in years, but, you know, they had such an influence. Their enthusiasm for physics and astronomy um, were just phenomenal. And, uh, you know, those two guys really, I think, professionally helped shape my, my interest. Um, I had a very good friend here in Jacksonville who co-authored Observe Eclipses with me. Richard Sweetser. Richard passed away with cancer at the age of 50. And um, he also had a huge influence in my interest in observing and teaching me how to observe and that sort of thing. He was about 10 years um, older than I was. And so you know, these are folks I think about all the time that had that type of influence on me. That's wonderful. Um, you've authored, you've mentioned some books that you've written. What, where, what books have you written? Well, um, co-authored Observe Eclipses with Richard and um, wrote the book um, Falling Stars. There's two editions of that. It's a book about meteorites and meteors. Um, Binoculars Stargazing, uh, co-authored with Jay Hebner and Terry Smith. Jay's that college professor, uh, college astronomy lab book for Prentice Hall. And just recently with um, my good friend Michael Bockich of Astronomy Magazine, he and I co-authored an astronomy lab book for Morton Publishing. They do specifically and only lab books, and this is a, a lab book that was designed mostly for community college professors, oh. but we've actually had a few um, university types adopt the book, so that's my latest. I'm, I'm like I say, working on some other manuscripts, maybe even a, a book on a book on meteorites and kind of help get a couple little Alpo projects off the ground. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Uh, just, just keep doing what you're doing and, you know, spread the word. Let's get more people involved in the ALPO. And, um, as I like to say, my good friend, the late Jack Hork, Horkheimer, you say, keep looking up. <laughs> Very good. Mike, well, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast today. 
You're welcome. And it's always a pleasure, Tim. Appreciate all the hard work you do to pull this together for us all. Thank you very much. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Observer's Numpet Podcast. Again, I want to thank Mike Reynolds for coming on, chatting about his life and his love for astronomy. He really is passionate about it. We, we episode new episodes of the Observer's Notebook every few weeks. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please rate and review us. I really appreciate it. You can also listen to us now on iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, Amazon, Echo. Yeah, that little tubular thing in your house that listens to every word you say. You can hear us there as well. You can help support the podcast by donating to it via Patreon by giving as little as $35 a month. You receive one year's membership to the ALPO and producer credits on the podcast. And with that, I really want to thank the producer of this podcast, Steve Seedentop, for his generous support of the Observer's Notebook. The link for Patreon as well as the link for the ALPO is in the show notes. You can contact me via email at cometman at cometman.net or at Twitter at, at ObserversNBPod. Until next time. My hope is that you always have clear and steady skies. Thank you for listening. <laughs>